Welcome to Round Trip Death. Before we jump into today's interview, I just wanted to mention one quick thing that we here at the show are so excited about and grateful for. Round Trip Death has recently become the number one most listened to audio podcast focusing on the topic of near-death experiences. A huge thank you to the amazing guests we've had on and to you for listening and sharing with friends. From the time that they pronounced me dead was a good 45 minutes. They cut my clothes and then they paddled my heart because my heart had stopped. And I could see people screaming and crying, but I didn't realize that was actually my physical body because I was somewhere else. The only thing that I could feel, if you could imagine, absolute love and peace. There wasn't anything else to be felt. I was greeted by people I had known in the past. I'm back home again. Incredibly safe and felt at home. I'd like to welcome everyone to Round Trip Death today. And welcome to our special guest, Susan Walter from Kansas City in the United States. Good morning, Susan. Morning. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Doing good. I love seeing that beautiful artwork behind you. And we'll talk a little bit more about your artwork later on. But will you tell us a little bit about you? Um, as you said, I live in Kansas City. I've been here since some of the mid-80s. I actually am originally from Iowa. I grew up as a farm girl. So a little bit of a tomboy still. Um, but I have... I'm very blessed with four children um, who are pretty much grown up at this point. You know how that goes sometimes, but um, also have four amazing grandchildren. They are the best. Uh, they are. Three of them are admittedly feral, also growing up on a farm, because my oldest son is still um, still a farmer. Yeah, they're a handful, but they're a lot of fun. Even got to go to the Special Olympics, or not Special Olympics, Junior Olympics this year. My two granddaughters are uh, gymnasts. Oh, that's fun. So that that was a lot of fun this summer. That's really fun. So how do you keep yourself busy day in and day out? Um, I actually spend most of my day either gardening um, in my yard or in my art studio. And usually, you know, spending friends with, you know, time with friends and family. All right. Well, let's get to our topic of the day, which happens to be near-death experiences. You know, we don't have a chance to get children on this show, but from time to time, we get to talk to someone who had their experience when they were a child. And that's going to be what we're going over with you today, a couple of experiences that you had as a child. Let's go back to the first one when you were four years old. And some people would say, oh, how can you even remember something that happened when you were four? I have a feeling your answer would be, when it's something this profound, you remember. Yeah, it's something you usually don't forget. <laughs> and I do remember actually details um, of things even when I was about 18 months. Um, you know, I have a, a grandfather that, or great-grandfather that passed when I was probably about 19 months old. And I vividly remember him walking in from the living room into the family room where I was at at my grandmother's house. So, yeah, we can remember small details from different experiences as a child. But uh, the near-death experience at four, I remember um, we were still living on the farm. And I remember laying, I was on the couch 
I felt so ill and so weak. My fever, I guess, was very high from what my mother has told me later. But I had a, you know, summertime and there was a blanket on me and I felt so weak. I couldn't even have the strength to lift the blanket. And it was a time, you know, because, you know, in Iowa in the 60s, the doctor actually still came to the house. And the doctor um, came in, you know, examined me at the house. And then I remember the doctor and my mother and father went to the next room. And even though my body was still in the living room on the couch, I followed them kind of from the perspective of the ceiling looking down on them. And I remember them discussing if they were going to take me to the hospital in Marshalltown, which was the closest town about, you know, eight, nine miles away, or if I was going to Iowa City to the University of Iowa Hospital, because that was going to take about 40, 45 minutes to get there. And the doctor felt that I needed to get to the hospital quicker than that because I needed immediate life-saving surgery. And uh, so we went to Marshalltown to the, you know, the closest little town. Um, and they performed the surgery there. So have they told you what was wrong with you then? Um, they didn't tell me at the time, but later I've learned actually what happened was I had uh, a ruptured hernia, and that's actually what caused both NDEs. Okay. Is there anything else from the first experience? I know you remember a lot more from the second one. Anything else from the first one that you remember? I remember being in um, just kind of, you know, from there at my parents' house, you know, the house that we were living on or living in, I went to um, like this garden with these massive, massive trees that, you know, as as a small kid, I'd never seen anything like the redwoods, but they were like that size. And underneath one of the trees was three of my own personal angels and they greeted me. And it's like, they just occupied my time while my body was going through the surgery and they asked me if I wanted to see the world through the eyes of the animals because you know on the farm where we were growing up I was you know we'd just go outside and play and I was notorious for finding like nests of um, baby animals whether it was snakes or mice or rabbits or whatever and I would just very gently play with them and then put them back where I found them so I, I was very connected to the earth and the animals at that time in my life. That's kind of, I think, what they knew I could relate to. So I just kind of went from animal to animal, but I stayed within animals inside that garden, and it was animals I was familiar with. And I don't remember anything after I woke up. You know, I don't. The only thing I really, even after that very first one, it was like those three angels that I met and that experience, they were there for me all the time. They never left my side ever again. To this day? Yeah, to this day. Yeah. Okay. We'll talk more about that <laughs> as we okay. get going here. Okay. Fast forward two years to when you're six years old, what happened? To be honest, I don't remember anything about, you know, leading up to the experience like I did with the first one. But I was, you know, I was again back in that same garden. And this, and one of the things I remember asking, and I don't remember all the questions that I asked, but I asked some questions about what I was being taught in Sunday school, because there was things that just didn't make sense to me. 
I do remember that one of the questions was how long God's day was, because it just didn't make sense to me in my little brain at the time that God, who I thought was you know bigger than us, that his day would be the same size as ours. I just, I thought his day was bigger than ours. That's just the way my mind worked. And how could he accomplish everything he does in a day, probably? Right. Yeah. I love the questions of children. And I, I used to get in trouble for asking that question multiple times in Sunday school and sometimes even asked to, you know, because my parents would have been, you know, in church in the sanctuary or um, sometimes they would have been, you know, in their own Bible study. So I was asked to go, go see my parents. <laughs> so the Sunday school teacher didn't even try to answer. Mm-mm. Now, Jim, I was a little too insistent, apparently, about asking my question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to go back to the near-death experience, um, I was again, again um, shown the world through the eyes of the animals. But this time I seemed to go even into other animals that I was not familiar with. Then found myself in um, what felt like a very massive um, being, which I suspect was a whale and swimming in the ocean. And then I wasn't swimming in the ocean anymore. I was actually like swimming in space, but still in this massive, felt like I was in this massive body. And then I was shown, I guess what we wouldn't call the Big Bang, though even scientists have now don't call it the Big Bang anymore. They do believe now it was a very large tone that um, the tone of it was very important anyway. But and it looked to me like, you know, it started almost like in waves where these souls came out of this central light, I guess you'd call it, where the, it's like some souls would come out in, in a wave and then some of them would be almost like pulled back in in the in-breath. And then even more would come out with another exhale and that just kind of seemed to go back and forth. And I was shown that it's like my soul came out of that very first breath. And like a lot of the souls, we seem to be going straight to what would be called the angelic realms or that angelic frequency or dimension, and which is a frequency that's some people say higher. I prefer the term faster because higher, lower insinuates that something is better than something else. And it was it's not better. It's just different. And isn't a higher frequency, sorry, a faster frequency, kind of a higher tone? It can, it can be, yes. And a little bit harder to hear. Yeah, with a pitchfork, that would be the case. So, mm-hmm. or, Yeah, like a tuning fork that, uh-huh, or crystal singing bowls or something like that. Yeah, but as I was going to what we would refer to as the angelic realms or angelic frequencies, it's like I was pulled aside by another being along with actually two other souls that also came out in that same breath and we were asked to be called what they called planet creators i'm still trying to wrap my head around what that fully means but um it's like we were shown on this it was it looked a lot like a computer screen but it was bigger and it was very flexible like a piece of mylar or a sheet of thick plastic. But um, we, we were shown on this what it would be like if we did and what it'd be like if we didn't. And I don't 
you know, I just kind of remember that that's what that part of it was about. I really don't remember a lot of the details, but um, I did choose to, you know, obviously to do that. Uh, the other two beings that they had pulled aside did go to the angelic realms. And I believe one of them is, is one of those three angels that is still with me today. That's at least that's my understanding. And then that, you know, from there, once I agreed to, to take on this role, it's like I was taken someplace where I went through like training is the best way I could describe it in human terms. And then I, you know, and then the next thing I know from there, I'm waking up in the hospital and one of my grandmothers is sitting at my bedside and she doesn't realize I'm awake yet. And she's sitting there reading her favorite magazine, which was the National Geographic, which was one of my favorite magazines growing up too. But, and the one she was reading, interesting enough, was one of the Giza Plateau on the front. And she realized I was awake when I asked her, well, where's the rest of them? And which is kind of interesting because it's here just been in the last few years, they have discovered foundations of more pyramids on the plateau than were previously known about. So it's like how at six years old, never having you probably, you know, been to more than say Iowa and Minnesota in my whole life, know that there were more pyramids in Giza. That's really interesting. You mentioned uh, something about animals that you were not familiar with. Can you describe them at all? Not really, no. Okay. What else do you remember seeing or feeling while you were there? So, you know, one is I do remember, yeah, I'm still fascinated with elephants to this day, and I don't know why. So I wouldn't be surprised if one of those animals that I experienced and apparently fell in love with was an elephant. And did you say you were looking at the world through their eyes? Yeah, like from their perspective. So you were kind of feeling what they were feeling too then, I imagine. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Can you describe some of that? Yeah, I remember what we, you know, look at blades of grass and, and flowers and plants and things. And all of a sudden they look way bigger. And from a totally different perspective, um, probably from things like, you know, the rabbits and turtles and mice that I was familiar with on the farm. But then I also remember soaring above the clouds as a bird, you know, which was a exhilarating experience. <laughs> okay, I've got to ask the question that I know some people are thinking, please don't be offended. Mm -hmm. But how do you know this was real and not just a dream of a six-year-old? That's a good question. Yeah, if it was just a dream, I don't think I'd remember it as vividly today. Because to be honest, I don't remember the dream I had last night very well. So how would I remember here, you know, over 50 years later, remember an experience so vividly? Did you tell anybody about these experiences at the time? I tried to, but you got to remember, I was a child. I didn't have the vocabulary to explain it. And they, even the term near-death experience didn't even exist for another, what, 10, 15 years? Yeah, something like that. And, it, you know, living in a farm in Iowa, even if it had existed, I would, wouldn't have been exposed to it. Right. Are you familiar with Dr. Melvin Morse? I can't say as I am. He is someone who has studied near-death experiences in children. Um, he's a doctor. 
I believe he's retired now, but was a doctor for many, many years at the pediatric hospital. I believe it was in Seattle. If you want to hear all about what he has to say, and it's so fascinating. We had him on this show uh, last season, and it's episodes 235 and 236. And he talks all about interviewing children that had had near-death experiences in the hospital. And these are children who had uh, recorded cardiac arrest. Mm -hmm. And then he, with the parents' permission, went in and interviewed these children. And you said how hard it was to explain it at that age. Well, he gave them paper and crayons and had them draw and color what they had seen during their experiences. And it is fascinating and it's very real. And the percent of children that can remember what happened while they were gone is much higher than it is in adults. And that's one of the things that he talks about and in the research that he did. So I would encourage people to go back and listen to those two episodes, 235 and 236. Yeah, and I know as growing up, I never... You know, at a certain point, my dad told me to, you know, quit telling those stories. So I didn't talk about my experience for years. Um, it was, you know, in the late 90s, early 2000 was when I started, you know, admitting I'd had a near-death experience. So I didn't start talking about and sharing what my experience was like until probably 2017, 2018. So what changed? Did you just feel safer as an adult to talk about it? Yeah, and it became more and more for me a part of my life. You know, I tried for years to be, you know, to be that, you know, the normal mom, the normal wife. And, you know, I had, you know, take on the, you know, the corporate roles, you know, in the world that a lot, you know, a lot of us still do today. You know, I had the normal job. Yeah, I was a web designer and developer for many, many years. And you were afraid to talk about it? Yeah, I I what I think I still have that what my dad said about, you know, quit telling those stories. Still, you know, I still heard that in my head. And so I just didn't talk about it. Why do you think he told you not to talk about it? I think it to be honest, I think it scared him and they didn't understand what I was trying to say. You sounded a little crazy, maybe. Yeah. And, you know, I grew up in a very strict um, Lutheran household, and that didn't fit in with, you know, what they, my parents had been taught. Has that affected your religious practice as an adult? Um, I was probably the first member of the family, because that, that church was actually started by my family, as well as four other families that came over from Germany in the 1850s to get all together and all bought farms there in that small radius there in Iowa. And I was the first member of the family to break away from that church. So let's fast forward now. At what point did you start painting? And, and this is going to be a multi-part question. And how did this change your life as an adult compared to other people? How did this affect you? It was in 97 that I started um, drawing and painting. Um, at the time, I was I was married to my second husband. I, you know, all four, my, my four children, see the two, my older two boys were in their early teens and my younger two were still toddlers at the time. And 
I realized I didn't even realize it until I went to the grocery store and I realized I wasn't seeing just my own angels anymore. I was seeing everybody else's. And that started when? Um, that was started in January of 97. Was there something that flipped that switch all of a sudden? I have a theory, but to be honest, I'm not sure. If you remember, that's the time that Hale-Bopp was going through our solar system, that Hale-Bopp comet. Yes. And there was a short period where it actually, it wasn't visible to us because it went behind our sun from our perspective. And I wish I had kept this article and I have not been able to find it since. So if anybody ever finds this article, I would love it if you'd send it to me. But um, there's a date I found, scientists said that Hale-Bopp put out some sort of magnetic pulse and it was directed in to the sun and went then straight to earth and hit, you know, directly in this magnetic pulse directly impacted earth through the sun from Hale-Bopp. It was on that same day, but I don't, like I said, I don't know if that's related or not, but I do remember seeing that article set and I've, I've lost it. If anybody finds it, I would love it if he'd share it with me. So what do you mean by seeing angels and do you still see them? Um, yes, I do still see them. And it's kind of like seeing that ray of sunshine coming down between the clouds. It's that transparent but they're also can, you know, they can show themselves as being 15, 18 feet tall. And, you know, so it's kind of like seeing that cloud of light, I guess is the best way to describe it, you know, moving around you. Now, I have over the years learned to do what I refer to as turning down the volume, where I see them as like clouds of color, or, you know, spheres of color that are just constantly moving. It's kind of like seeing a snow globe full of glitter. It's just constantly moving. And that's how I see them all the time now. Which I learned to do that just to help make going to the grocery store, you know, just doing normal life things where you have a lot of people around you just to make that a little easier. But it has also made it easier for me to differentiate between my personal angels and somebody else's, as well as when I do set with someone to draw their angel portrait for them, how, you know, because then just their, their one, you know, the one angel that wants to be drawn or is going to be drawn that day steps forward and kind of takes shape and defines color for me. So it just makes that process easier. And that's what you do for a living today, isn't it? Um, yes, it is. Yeah, and I've been doing it full time now for eight years, nine years. And we'll put a link in the show notes to your website so people can see some of those if they would like to. And I have to tell you that the paintings are really beautiful. They are also really surprising to me because I haven't seen angels. If I had, I assume that they look a lot more like people mm -hmm. than how you portray them. So, um, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what you're doing, I just, I think they're, uh, but I think they're really beautiful pictures, so. Thank you, but uh, yeah, that's the way I've always seen them, including that's how I saw them in my own near-death experience. Um, I've never seen them to have faces. Yeah, it's just like, and I actually did a number of years ago, I was at an event in Ohio and saw this woman that she was drawing what she called angel portraits as well, 
but it was like just from it was just like seeing the butt what we would call the bus just from the chest up and seeing these very beautiful very detailed faces so I went into meditation like I did when I first started seeing everybody else's and like and asking well why don't why don't I see faces why do I you know see them so differently and I was told by my personal angels that I see them and more their pure light form, if that makes sense. So it's close. I think those spheres of color that I, you know, is actually probably the closest to their natural state. It's like, it takes more energy for them to show themselves and even how I draw them, but to even more energy for them to take on a physical, you know, a physical form that looks like us. Um, for the people out there who may be listening, who have a child who have had some kind of experience, what would you say to them? What advice would you give them that would help the children? And I'm going to just go from what I wish my parents had said to me was, I wish they had actually just taken the time to patiently listen and not write me off. Even if they didn't believe me or didn't understand and maybe even have asked me to color them or, you know, color my experience or write my experience to write down my story. I think that's a great idea. I think people need that. They need to, even if we don't believe their story, it's real to them, right? So they need some validation. Yeah, even as adults, what we need most is to feel heard and acknowledged and under, understood on some level. If we would take the time to do that, I think I think this world would be a lot better place to live. And especially if they're younger children, I would recommend give them paper and crayons and say, draw what you saw. Mm-hmm. Tell me about it and draw it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, just some sort of art form, some sort of way to portray their experience. So what can we learn from all this? What's the takeaway Oh, I think the most important thing is to realize that we are not alone. We do have a backup team, so to say. I guess would be one way to say it. That because our angels, they never leave our rarely leave our side. From what they've shown me, the only time they do is if they might go ahead of us in our day to make sure things happen or don't happen in our best and highest good. Sometimes one might stay at home to watch over the energy of our, you know, our sanctuary, our sacred space. We can also ask our angels to say, check on loved ones or even have our angels talk to their angels to pass on messages. But that's really about as far as they go from us personally. Angels do not change during your lifetime. Any change like that would take place between lifetimes as you make that agreement as to what lessons you want to learn and what experiences you want to have in that in this lifetime. Because they're the ones that kind of keep us on track with that. You had mentioned to me in our pre-interview different types of angels, archangels, guardian angels. Mm-hmm. Tell us about those differences as you understand it. Of the main guardian angel that's been with you, not just this lifetime, but all of your lifetimes in physical form. And my understanding is that's not even restricted to Earth. If we've had experiences on other planets or other solar systems, that same guardian, mating guardian angel has been with you. 
Um, though other personal angels can come and go during between lifetimes, but though they may have been with you multiple lifetimes, now those that we call um, archangels, though there's way more different kinds of angels or different groups of angels under that kind of umbrella um, that we as humans use, but they will come and go as needed and as called upon. They are not your personal angels, but because angels exist outside of what we refer to as linear time, they can be in what, from our perspective, would be multiple places at the same time. I know a lot of people will say, you know, the Archangel Michael's my my angel. Um, he's not your personal angel, but he can often come to help you, especially if you call upon him and ask for his help. Here's another question that I don't know if you know the answer to, but I'll listen to your opinion. Can people like us that have been on this earth become angels or were some of us maybe angels prior to being here? My understanding is that is extremely rare that a human, that a hu- an angel has a human experience. It does happen though, but it, but it is extremely rare as far as the universal perspective goes. But what I've been shown, actually there's more angels in physical form for some reason on this planet at this time than anywhere ever, which I think is rather interesting. Hmm. Any guess as to why that is? From what I've been shown, what's taking place on our planet right now energetically with our soul evolution has never happened in this exact way, any place ever. And to think about, you know, just looking at the number and look at at the stars at night, just think of each one of those is just a sun that we can see. There's more that we can't even see. And then they've all got at least as many planets, if not more than ours. If each one of those, say one out of 10 of them, or even one out of 100 of them, only has one planet with life, how many that is. And that's, and we've got more angels here than anywhere. That is kind of, and that's, you know, just in what we can see. That's just crazy to think about. Now, I don't know if you still believe in a God or not, or some kind of a higher power, but if so, how is that relationship with angels and God? I personally, I don't like the word God just because it's just a word. It's not a name. Of, a, of an entity, but um, a lot of negative things have been done in that name. So, it's, but I prefer that, you know, like divine or creative source things, you know, the terms I prefer that just make me personally more comfortable. But yes, I do very strongly believe that that central light source or energy source that we all come from does definitely exist. And are the angels under some kind of direction from that source? or interaction? Yes and no. I I think some are, but I don't think all of them are. You know, sometimes I kind of look at it like, you know, if each one of us and each, including each angel is say, you know, relate us each to a cell of the creative and divine source that we're each a part of that. That's kind of how I look at it. And it's a collective. And I think sometimes there's, yeah, you know, just like humans, sometimes I don't think there can be disagreements as to what direction things are going. And, you know, sometimes I wonder if it's just 
just knows how to create. And sometimes I wonder how much of a plan there really is. But that's, you know, from a human perspective, too. Well, as you know, we get all kinds of different opinions and beliefs on this show. And we are not trying to tell people what is right or wrong or what to believe. But it seems like the one big commonality is that there is more than just this life. And that's something you've experienced, right? Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely. And I, I very strongly believe in what is called reincarnation, that we can have multiple experiences. So knowing that there is more than just our existence here, and then when we die, everything's black and we just don't exist any longer, rather than that, and people that may not know what to believe as far as that, what's your message of hope for them? We are all still a soul having a human experience. And I don't think these physical bodies are capable of even holding all of what a soul truly is. This is just a small part of that soul's experience. And my personal belief is I don't think the soul ever dies. It may choose to go back to source, to that central creative divine source, but that even there, the you know the existence doesn't cease; it continues, and it's just in a different form. It's almost like you know going into a different room where you can't communicate with what's going on in this three D experience we're having right now, but it still exists. Before we wrap up, is there anything else that you'd like to say? Yeah, we're going through some very interesting times and changes in our world right now, and I think. We all need to take the time to take care of this gift of life that we've been given, but also respect that in each other. Take the time to listen and acknowledge that divine creative source within each and every one of us. And um, if you only do one thing for yourself, try and find a way, some sort of meditation that works for you, even if it's just five or 10 minutes every day. And actually take the time to, you know, to listen to you, you know, to get to know yourself better is one of the goals I think that has helped me accomplish. But it's also given me so much peace to do that, to take a few minutes every day to just listen to nature or just, you know, to just close my eyes and listen to some music that, you know, helps me just kind of chill out and relax and you know find god in that moment you know, or whatever you choose to call that you know, divine source that's great thank you very much for being with us today susan thank you for having me it's been an honor thanks again for listening and sharing this podcast if you've had a round trip death experience we would love to hear from you send an email to eric at roundtripdeath.com until then I wish you everything good that you're looking for in this life. Amen.